let's not forget, you can say whatever you want about Bitcoin. Bitcoin has been the best performing financial asset in the history of the world ever, ever. At $16,000, I mean, Bitcoin went from pennies to 16 to 23,000, wherever it is today, 24,000 a coin. In that time frame, there is there is no finance, and, and actually in any time frame, there is no financial asset that has ever exceeded that performance. You know, in the venture business, I used to always say, are the dogs eating the food? I mean, a trend in motion will continue. I can't see why that trend isn't going to continue. I think the price of everything is going to go down in Bitcoin terms from now until forever. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. We are delighted to have you join us again on Blue Collar Bitcoin. This week, Josh and myself, Dan, were privileged to sit down with Greg Foss and Larry Lapard. This is Greg's fourth time on the show, and it's Larry's second appearance. Larry is the investment manager at Equity Management Associates with 40 years of investing experience. And Greg has 35 years of investing experience, the vast majority of which he spent in high-yield credit trading and analysis. In this hour and a half, the four of us unpack a multitude of digestible and actionable nuggets for how best to analyze and approach the current economic environment. We hone in particularly on the difficult realities that confront those who are at or near the end of their primary earning years, those close to or in the midst of retirement. Josh and I can attest that chatting with these two gentlemen feels like being at the firehouse. And if you know anything about the four of us, this episode gets rambunctious. If you do ever prefer to watch video of these chats, you can check out Blue Collar Bitcoin on YouTube. The link is down in the show notes. Folks, the Bitcoin 2023 conference is coming up quick. It's May 18th to the 20th, 2023. Ticket prices will go up incrementally. So if you're going, we encourage you to get on it. Use promo code BCB23, that's BCB23, for 10% off tickets. This is an educational, networking, and party opportunity we doubt you want to miss. As you likely know at this point, the two of us have used CoinKite self-custody products for years. Whether you're brand new or you're a salty veteran, a cold card should be in your self-custody arsenal. Use code BCB for a delightful discount on the cold card and peruse for discounts on the whole list of CoinKite security and fund devices at our affiliate link down in the show notes. I'm going to close out this intro section with a generic word to those who feel technologically intimidated by Bitcoin. It doesn't matter your age. The tech side of Bitcoin is getting startlingly easy. The products we've chosen to align with, like the cold card and our Start9 Embassy OS node setups, are robust solutions that don't take shortcuts, yet are workable for all, firefighters and boomers included. At the end of the day, Bitcoin doesn't work without individual self-hosting nodes and taking custody of their keys. There's nothing decentralized about Bitcoin without decentralized hardware and decentralized possession. Private servers and self-custody are key and necessary ingredients to a more freedom-filled financial future. Take baby steps and get going on learning the tech basics. Without further ado, enjoy this chat with Greg and Larry. Larry, Greg, glad you guys could join us today. Great to be with you. We're pumped to hear your most up-to-date macro thoughts and all of that. But uh, first, we got a couple of housekeeping things to get in order here. I'm going to start with you, Greg. We had a story on the show recently, maybe in the last few weeks. You went skiing out with Seb, Seb Bunny. 
and he told us about this tragedy where you guys ended up on your you know skis over a cliff tell us your version of that story we want to make sure that we keep everybody on pace here and don't let seb talk any shit behind your back and so this was yeah last year last ski season so to be clear i just came back from a a, a, a trip and skied with seb uh at whistler black at uh, black home to be exact uh this this year and we joked about it on the chairlift and i told him uh seb i'm coming back at you i'm on with the boys so i'm wearing my whistler black home ski hat this is the logo in honor of uh surviving another ski trip with uh, seb bunny all right so what happened a year ago real quick because you guys mentioned it that uh and seb said yeah that fat foss you know he's not very flexible and we got into a thing and i was skiing with another guy so let me be clear what happened so we get cliffed out which means there's cliffs on this side and this side and we could all and we skied in here now those two guys i was skiing with are able to flip their skis 180 degrees and go quickly out this way i am 60 years old twice as old as seb okay seb you young little donkey okay i'm twice as old as you <laughs> and i'm not flexible my brother has two artificial hips already or two hip operations. So I can't flip my skis like this, okay? I just can't. I can't even flip my hands like this, let alone my hips. So I'm clipped out. If I ski this way, I go over about a, you know, either side, you're going over a substantial cliff. It's, uh, you know, you'd fall at least 100. You'd tumble 100 feet, but you'd fall 50 feet and then tumble another 50 yards or whatever. The point is, I was scared. And I ended up doing a dumb thing which is I took my skis off to be able to flip my skis and ski out, but then you lose traction. So I started sliding a little bit more mm -hmm. towards the edge. And when I finally came down, because my buddies were down, there was Seb and uh, Derek Schumann, my good friend from Whistler as well, who were way down here watching me struggle on the cliff. And I finally got my skis turned and I came and I skied around. And I just wanted to give Seb a little brotherly love. Like, what did you do? Get me into that little situation. Uh, I was scared. Uh, yeah, I'm unflexible. Yes, I'm happy to be alive. Uh, but I'm not a rookie. Like, this was not a rookie mistake. This was deep being... The, the mistake was skiing in the West Bowl of Whistler with Seb and, and, and knowing that, you know, he could turn on a dime and Fat Foss is not quite as flexible as he should be. So it was a, <laughs> it was a blast. Uh, Seb is a great skier. We have a lot of fun skiing together. We just came back. I think you guys saw some Twitter photos. Yeah, we did. Uh, we we had like one day, the day Seb and I were skiing, we had 20 centimeters, which is like eight inches of fresh light pow. Mm, and it epic. was just a lot of fun. And we were doing big carving turns and, and everything. But yeah, we giggled a little bit because he goes, Foss, I swear I wasn't trying to make you sound like, uh, you know, a fat old man. And I said, well, that's fine, Seb, because I am a fat old man, but uh, I, I need to give you, I need to give you some, uh, you know, uh, some, some pushback. So that's my pushback, boys. I could not change my skis 180 degrees. You know, my hips just didn't work that way. And I was stuck up there like a crying little, you know. We're glad you made it out, man. That's some scary shit. Like those cliffs are no joke. In pictures, they look, you know, kind of tame. But when you're yeah. there looking down on that shit, it is... Uh, it's a different it's a different thing altogether. You need to stop skiing with psychopaths like Seb and come come out with some Midwest pansies like the two of us, Greg. <laughs> no, I think Seb Seb is Seb is a fantastic skier who certainly 
you know, lives on the edge, but doesn't, uh, didn't do this on purpose. And everyone would go, yeah, look, I'm really sorry. This was not supposed to happen. Um, the mountain changes quickly, right? Like there's, you know, there's, uh, the snow can melt under, under sun or shifting snow conditions or, and a cliff that wasn't there two weeks ago in a, in a bowl is now there just because. So that's, I think what happened. And, uh, anyway, over to Larry, come on, Larry, yeah. bail me out here, kid. We got to, uh, yeah, Larry, Larry, how are you? Uh, what's, what's the good word? What workout did you do today? I, I have, I have one word for you, Foss. We're going to drag your ass into CrossFit. We're going to get you so that you can do a ski flip, just like, like falling <laughs> off a log, man. It's going to be a piece of cake. Every, you know, basically the next time we're together at one of these conferences, we're doing a CrossFit workout together. Yeah. Foss sells himself short. I mean. You can see underneath all of that, he's a really good athlete. I mean, he's got a son who plays pro hockey. So, I mean, there's, there's some good genetics and there's some good athleticism there. And I've been with him in a lot of places, including Madeira, watched him dive off of incredibly high piers and so on and so forth. And, you know, he's, he's got <laughs> balls. So, Foss will be fine. He just, you just need to tune it up a little <laughs> bit, man. You got to, you basically got to do, you, you got you to gotta start doing a little more on a regular basis. A couple months of CrossFit and you'll be burying Seb. I don't know how good a skier Seb is, but you'll be able to keep up uh, with him. I keep I'm up sure. with him, Larry. Thanks. So I keep up with there, him. Boss. He's uh, he's he's young and fast, and uh, we have a good time. But you're right. Um, a little squishy at the midsection. <laughs> if I lost the, if I if I got back to my fighting weight, uh, you know, it would be a lot better. So we'll 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 aspire to your CrossFit. You're you're still fitter than most sixty year olds by a large measure. You're too though. kind. I mean. I look at my peers, we're all 65. I mean, it's, uh, it's something to behold, right? True that. Larry, what was the workout today? Did you get in the gym uh, today? Oh, what was the wad today? Today's wad wasn't too bad. You know, they kind of, so, so we're in this thing called the CrossFit Open, which is kind of cool. I don't know how much you guys know about CrossFit. I'll just briefly talk about it. Every year, every CrossFit box in the world does the exact same workout on Friday. It used to be, I've been doing this for years, it used to be five Fridays in a row. Now it's three Fridays in a row. And what's really fun about that is that you can literally compare yourself to every CrossFit athlete in the world. And so you can see, you know, what Matt Frazier's doing. And of course, that's not what you're doing, but you can also, and, and they break it down by age group and category. So I can compare myself to all the 65-year-olds. That is so cool. Um, today's workout, we did... Uh, we did heavy deadlifts, uh, sets of two. I built up to 275, kind of started at 135. And then we, uh, then we did, the, it was a deadlift workout, which was uh, eight deadlifts, uh, eight burpees over the bar, eight handstand push-ups. So as you can imagine, I don't do handstand push-ups. That's uh, beyond my shoulders pay grade. I, I, so I did regular push-ups, then eight more burpees. And then uh, we did that for three rounds. And it took uh, as fast as you can, and that took about 11 minutes, something like that. Damn, inspirational. Burpees will wear you down. Burpees are better for short people. You know, I'm 6'3", <laughs> and uh, that's, that's a lot of body to fold and unfold, which is really what, kind of what a burpee is all about. So, Being mobile and flexible and having a good quality of life at your age, it's habits over years, man. And a lot of people just wake up and wonder, well, why do I feel this way? Why can't I pick my grandkids up off the floor? Yeah, I was, I'll put in a plug here briefly because it's just a public service announcement. Anyone who's 50 or older who doesn't have an exercise program, go out and buy Younger Next Year by Crowley. And it's a great book because it's about a guy who was a, a really high-powered attorney, you know, Harvard Law School guy in, in, in Manhattan. He went to his doctor and he was a heavy drinker, heavy smoker, overweight, and everything else. And 
His doctor said, dude, you're going to die. And he was like in his mid-50s. He said, you're going to die in the next 10 years if you don't clean up your act. And so he talks about how he cleaned up his act and why he did it. Mm-hmm. And, the, and he's changed his life. Now he's 80 and he's still going strong. And the big paradigm shift, and I, I talked about this earlier on a different uh, call today, was I think it's an important paradigm shift. Guys, generally speaking, from 20 on, what do you think about? You think about, you know, making money and taking care of your family and, and you know, kind of providing for people. You don't really think about yourself. I mean, you're thinking about yourself, but, but obviously you're thinking about making money. And, and that's your number one job. You get up in the morning, what am I going to do today to make money and be successful? And the point of this book, and it's a great point, is that when you turn 50, you, you need to kind of change your mindset to my number one priority, more important than making money or than work. And hopefully by the time you're 50, you've made some money. My number one priority is what am I going to do physically to make myself stronger and more flexible and, and keep myself going? And so that kind of becomes your job. Your job mm-hmm. is how am I going to stay fit? And then once you're fit, then you can go do all the work and all the other shit you want to do as well. But when you change your mindset so that you know, your fitness becomes a higher priority than making money, and, and I get it. I mean, look, in my 20s and 30s, I didn't work that much either because I was working all the time. But by the time you're 50, you generally, hopefully, have some control over your schedule. And you just got to put an hour and a half in every day to make yourself uh, fit. Or else, as we all know, I mean, I know I, I can speak from my, my peer group, you go downhill really fast after 50. And I know 60-year-olds that look like they're 80. And I know 80-year-olds that could kick all of our ass in terms of athletic performance. So, and that's all just a matter of heavy, it's not a matter of even being great at any one thing. The, the most important thing is actually showing up every day, mm. you know, that five to seven days a week doing something because it's kind of progressive. And if you're only getting 1% better a week, you're still, you know, at the end of the year, you're 50% better, right? I mean, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a kind of, it's like a block you got to just keep chipping away at. So, that's kind of how I look at it. And I'm really not that good at it, but I'm very persistent at it. And that's, I think that's the important part, you know? It's also one of those things where the sooner you do start, it's like investing. Like you start at 20, you can snowball that into a lot more money by the time you're 50. And the working out and that discipline is right. the same thing. Like you start at 20, you're going to be way better off at 50 than if you start at 50. That's right. Yeah. No, my first five years were pretty rough because I was in pretty shitty shape. And, and, you know, in your 40s and 50s, you can, get, you can get it back. In your 30s, you can get it back real quick. You know, by the time you get, you know, the, the further on you get, the harder it is to get it back, right? Mm. I mean, I, you know, you can get to the point where you, you lost the stuff that you almost can't recover. But, but I mean, there's, they've, seen, they've shown strength and improvements in people who are 70, 80, 90. So there's never, it's never too late to start. You might as well start wherever you are. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I think 50 is kind of the break point. That's where I really noticed my body kind of saying to me, Hey, dude, this isn't working, you know, <laughs> I mean, and, and, and I got angry enough about it that I started looking for a solution. And, and I think the cross, you know, obviously I'm a big proponent of CrossFit. I just think it's a very efficient, well-designed, group-oriented activity that while not easy, um, will actually guarantee and deliver results. And so, and that's what most people want. I mean, a lot of people just wander to the gym, they wander around for an hour, they don't do much, and they wonder why they don't have any results. You know, you, you got to you got to work hard to have results, right? Because you don't have to kill yourself. You just have to work consistently, you know, at, at a reasonable pace. Yeah, and you have to find a program or a habit that's actually sustainable. You see so yeah. many people get on these binges with eating and exercising, and you can immediately size up if you're one of their peers, or you're close to them. This is not going to work. This is going to end in three months. So you that that's the benefit of like the community aspect you're talking about yeah. there is, is it's something you can plug into, have some accountability, and hopefully sustain. 
the community is key and you also got to mix it up the book talks about that you can do stuff you enjoy if you enjoy skiing ski if you enjoy biking bike if you enjoy tennis if you enjoy swimming, whatever i do all of those things i mean i you know i, I swam the other day i uh, I just bought a couple of new bikes because I want to do more biking. And uh, yeah, so it's um, whatever it is that floats your boat, do it. Because it, it, is a, it is a use it or lose it thing. I mean, I, to the younger guys listening, I would say, you know, um, in your 30s, you know, don't sweat it. You got time to recover, but don't let it go too long. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> As we transition into the meat and potatoes here, uh, and I, I guess before we get lost in the in-depth macro tangents which don't worry folks we're going to do today uh, i say we start out with our original intention of having you two here together and that's you guys speaking to your generation um you two are really thoughtful in your economic concerns for the younger generations for our generation you know foss you're constantly hashtagging for the kids but we you know in our 30s we have equal concern gentlemen for your generation our parents generation you know you could say Hashtag for the parents. And I know the four of us would agree that the current economic landscape is precarious to say the least. Yeah. And I, I think it can be argued, guys, that, that those that are at or approaching the end of their earning years may have the toughest road ahead. They have less room to pivot. Their fuck ups are going to be accentuated more. So yeah. I want to spend some time, if you guys are up for it. Uh, unpacking why this asset, Bitcoin, is potentially so important for those at or nearing retirement age, and and if so, before I hand it to you, let's let's try to do so in a manner that's somewhat approachable for someone that doesn't speak fluent financialese. Um, maybe Larry, we'll we'll start with you if you have any thoughts, and then we'll we'll kind of go from there. I'll just generally say that you know that. The the big, big picture, I'll keep it quick, and, and Greg will get a lot of the other points, but um, sadly, the system that we've set up is broken, and it's, um, we, you know, fiat, the, the money we all have is programmed to the base, and, and that's the saddest thing I think about the system, I saw it happen to my dad, is that you can't really retire and know you're secure. Mm. And the reason for that is that you can retire with a certain number, and you can think to yourself, okay, that's a pretty big number. I know my dad's was modestly good when he retired. By the time he passed, it had really whittled away because of all the inflation and it had eaten away at it. And that's, that's Greg's point that, you know, fiat programs are debased. And so I, I would totally agree with what you say, Dan, which is that, um, you know, people who are older have less time to recover. They have a certain amount of savings. And yeah, it's nice that you have those savings. But what if gasoline's $50 a gallon and, you know, your food bill is four or five X where it is today? You know, you can go from what's a, a nice middle class existence to, you know, really being kind of living on the edge. And, I, and sadly, I think that's going to happen um, to a lot of older people who aren't, you know, don't have their eyes open to what part of the cycle we're in. And we'll get into the cycle later, but we're in a very bad part of the cycle for people who are late in their careers. I mean, 30-year-olds, it's, like it's like the exercise. 30-year-olds can recover. You know, you can get another job. You can make more money. You got a lot of energy. You know, when you're 70 or 75, I mean, you know, do you really want to be a greeter at Walmart? I mean, I know I don't, you know, not, not to put those guys down. They're nice people. They're great people. And I honor them working. But, but the point is that, you know, you, 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 know you, you don't want to outlive your money. And in a fiat system, we're literally all at risk of outliving our money because the money is broken. <laughs> so that's, that's my quick view of it. Yeah. Uh, to, to chime in here re real quick before you go, Greg, I was just going to say, I, I think for us with what we do at work, guys, this is maybe 
more in front of us because our job is very multi-generational. Like being a career firefighter paramedic, you've got 22-year-olds that don't know their hand from their ass next to 55-year-olds who have kids in college. So we work with a lot of people that are at the sunset of their career that we respect and love. And, and so it's it's beyond just our parents and our families. We're next to these gentlemen and ladies you know, every day at work who are trying to navigate this next step. A lot of workplaces aren't very multi-generational. Many generations are completely insulated from others aside from kin. So for us, it is a, it's a deep passion of ours to, to provide some answers or at least some, some risk hedges for people that you look at a 55 year old firefighter who's going to be dependent on his nest egg and some form of defined benefit plan that person is probably going to live, Lord willing, for 30 years. That is a lot of time to navigate a super precarious environment. Correct. I want to insert just a quick story here. I went to the dentist today, right? Dental hygienist is probably about 60 years old is my guess. She's cleaning my teeth. Was she hot? Oh, yeah. She was super hot. <laughs> she's cleaning my teeth and she's talking to me as they do. You know, She's asking me questions, talking to me, and she was incessantly talking to a degree. I was like, I don't know what she expects here. I have all this stuff in my mouth. But anyway, she's telling me all about herself and she's like, and I thought she was joking. She's telling me how her plan for retirement is to win the lottery. And I like gave Are it she- like a chuckle and she was dead serious. She's like, I need uh, probably about $2 million and that'll do it and I'll be good other than social security. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, this lady is in serious trouble. My God, like, you got a serious problem and you don't even understand fully how, you know, you're going to be doing this till you're 75 or 80. Yeah. I mean, you can't make money appear out of thin air. So if you're, if you're backed up against the ropes and you've got no punches to throw, like, you're fucked. And um, that's why you got, it's, regardless of what age you're at, back to the fitness analogy, I don't care what phase of this you're at, you got to start getting your shit together and and hopefully we'll, you know we'll explore some of maybe how this thing even a he- small hedge position in this thing can give you something to throw at the opponent in front of you greg what's your thoughts here well i think everyone's made some great points i like the fact that you brought up um dan you brought up the defined benefit now lots of pension plans are actually defined contribution now right that's uh, the difference between uh having a defined benefit you'll retire with this much uh um uh payout versus most pension plans now have moved to defined contribution, which means they define how much you contribute to your pension plan and match it, but they don't guarantee you a payout because that's risky for a pension plan. Many can't attain it because of the the different hurdle rates. But what it comes down to is your defined contribution means you're sometimes making the uh, the, the investment choices yourself to uh, set a retirement. So I want to mention, you know, and Larry very kindly said, you know, I'm, I'm no better at it than Larry. I just come at it from a bond uh, perspective, which unfortunately, in my opinion, is one of the great um, misunderstood assets and mispriced assets. But too many retirees are, are concentrating on bonds. And that's fine when interest rates have gone for 40 years in one direction, which is from the top left down to the bottom right interest rates, which means bond prices have gone the other way and your returns have been very attractive. In 40 years ago, you bought bonds with a 20% yield. I mean, that's true. Now these bonds yield in the 10 year 
under 4%, the US 10-year treasury. So it's a markedly different environment for the older approaching retirement uh, person. Here's one of the investing guidelines that I think is going the way of the horse and buggy, where they say, take your age, and that's how much exposure in a balanced portfolio you should have to fixed income or bonds, right? If you're 70, 70 years old, you should have 70% bonds, 30% equities. Well, that is a absolute uh, formula for disaster, in my opinion, especially since bonds now have asymmetric downside in, in return. And as you guys correctly point out, it's a fiat contract that debases. Like, you know, you have a certain amount in there that's supposed to keep account of inflation uh, or uh, uh, compensate you for inflation, but it doesn't compensate you for fiat debasement. And that is the problem. So bonds are part of the fiat Ponzi. And I would just say this, given this show is going to talk about Bitcoin, everybody, regardless of age, everybody needs a portion of their portfolio allocated to Bitcoin. The wrong answer is zero. The right answer depends on your age. It depends on your risk tolerance. It depends on your financial savvy. But I'm going to summarize this with a positive and shout out to those people still working at Walmart. Not maybe because they need the money, Lark, but because they still like working. Because retirement isn't that fun, you guys. I retired when I was 52, okay? Partly because I couldn't do it anymore, meaning, you know, the financial markets had beaten the shit out of me for 30 years. And partly because I built up a, 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 an amount of savings that I felt comfortable with. But then you'd sit around, you get soft, you know, your brain goes soft. Your brain is your most important muscle. You got to exercise it. You got to keep being involved. So maybe the positive thing is here, people, we have an expression in Canada called Freedom 55. I'm not sure if you guys have that down in the USA. Uh, Freedom 55 was like, you turn 55 and you can retire. Damn, that's like, I know you guys aren't going to retire. I'm a, you might not be firefighters because you might have a, uh, a mandatory retirement age. But I'd be very surprised if you guys are sitting around screwing the pooch for the rest of your 30 years. You guys are going to be doing something productive and trying to, you know, contribute to society. So maybe that's the positive thing. One thing that I do enjoy seeing are senior citizens who I actually don't think have to work but want to work to contribute. And, and proof of work is the world. So long-winded answer exercise your mind. It is the most important muscle in your body. Exercise your mind. Continue doing stuff that you want to do. Learn about Bitcoin because it is going to change the world and get an allocation to Bitcoin for your kids. Whether it's for you or not, I don't really give a shit because you have already taken so much away from the future of our children. You actually deserve or you have to give something back, you fat, old, lazy boomers like me. Not going to call anyone else, but I'm the fat, old, lazy boomer that has stolen from the future of our children because no one shouted out the Fiat Ponzi. So I'm shouting out the Fiat Ponzi. We have to change this world. Heaven, I mean, I don't think I have that attitude towards boomers only because, I mean, primarily because I recognize that if I was a boomer, I would have done the same thing. Like you're just happening to be the cohort of people that were lucky enough to live through the largesse of the last 30, 40 years. And that's just luck of the draw. 
Like there's no animosity from my perspective towards anyone in that age generation. Like it just is what it is. You know what I mean? Uh, you're too kind, Josh. I, I, I hate to, I hate to yeah, interrupt, but you're too yes, kind. No, Josh, we're not, not, not all boomers are the same. You know, there's, <laughs> There's I agree. Boomers like Boston, and then there are boomers like Charlie Munger. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's he's coming, don't worry. How, we're going to talk about him. Took. Don't worry. We knew it wouldn't take long for me to get there, <laughs> yeah. right? I was yeah. thinking about bringing him up off the bat, but I was like, you know what? It's too chill right now. I got We got to get him riled up more before we bring up Munger. Yeah, let me just jump in to finish the thought because there are, there are givers and takers in this world, right? And I right. often say, uh, you know, there's probably in the world, and I'm an optimist, I'd say, there's 60% givers and 40% takers, but it's probably, you know, that can flip either way. The good thing about the Bitcoin community is we're 85% givers and 15% takers is just my own, uh, you know, uh, approximation. Higher. Yeah. And Higher. then on Wall Street though, Wall Street at Bay Street in Canada, 99% takers and 1% givers, okay? So perhaps the guy I'm calling out most are the fuck-ups that work on Wall Street, like I did, that know that they are takers at the expense of most everybody else in the world, and they don't give a flying how, how are you, because that's what Wall Street is. Why do you think most criminals go and work on Wall Street? Why? Because it's the easiest place to steal from someone and not break the law. Okay? That is exactly <laughs> what, I, that's the generation I'm talking to. Josh, not your solid citizens who are paramedics and firefighters and first responders. Yeah. I'm talking to the lazy fucking Ivy League cucks, okay, who go to work on Wall Street <laughs> and get granted and think that they are somehow, you know, they, they, they have entitlements to this type of lifestyle. No, that's who I'm calling out. And I think Larry would agree with that as well. Right, Larry? We're, we're naming this episode Ivy League cucks, by the way. I, I I call them the fiat masters. I mean, and they're easy to see, and they you know they're not even always that smart, but they've benefited enormously from a fiat system, and they defend it, and uh, and they know that that's why and how they've gotten rich beyond all measure, and it's mm. it's absurd, it's absolutely absurd, and you know thank God for Bitcoin, and thank God you know that that sound money is going to wipe all that stuff clean in this in this fourth turning. Mm. Um, that's, that's the good news. To be clear, Larry's a Harvard boy and I went to Cornell only for two years, but I'm a Canadian that went to Cornell. Uh, so I'm Ivy league for, you know, from a Canadian perspective, real Ivy league, but that's the truth. A lot of these people come through the system and are entitled and by being entitled, they are robbing from future generations. That is the absolute fact. That's the mathematics. So Larry and I call them out. And we're allowed to because we live that exact uh, privilege, right, Larry? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. We saw it and we, you know, look, I, I went to school with all these guys and I know who they are and what they are and what they've done. And and they're not dumb. They know. Uh, they completely know. And they, they don't like people like Greg and I because we know as well. And, I, you know, look, I mean, to me, it's all about legacy at this stage. I mean, I, you know, I want to be known as a guy who was fighting for what was right. Um, and it's very clear to me that sound money is right. And that unsound money has killed millions, literally, uh, and impoverished millions and, you know, hollowed out the, the middle class of the United States. I mean, 
it's just, I mean, it, it, the list just goes on and on. You can get me real riled up if you guys start pushing <laughs> the right the, button. That's the intention, right. Larry. We will. We will. As you know. So what I want to ask you, though, is when we're talking about, let's let's segregate them, the good boomers, the ones that aren't on Wall Street, the ones who we care about, our parents, uh, right. guys we work with, when you're trying to help them understand why they should have some allocation to Bitcoin, do you guys have a go-to anecdote or a way that you can help them understand this uh, because a lot of people in that age group just simply uh, haven't grown up in the digital age where this makes a lot of sense to them. Do you have certain ways that you explain this that helps them and makes sense to them? But before you guys go, it's immediately written off by your generation. I'm going to give you an example from the firehouse. We had this hilarious thing go down last week where a lot of the millennials take the shortcut of just all, even though the older guys now that are retiring 55 or I think not even technically in the boomer generation, it's boomers and kind of millennials, right? And we had right. somebody started a chart that said things boomers do and things started going up on the whiteboard. And then the boomers started things millennials do and the things started going up. It was hilarious. I'll bet it was. I'd love to see a picture of that. It was epic. I have a picture of we it. Gotta, it oh, we got to post that picture, Dan. It is fucking picture? epic. But one of the things that the boomers put up, and they, they had some scathing, hilarious shit about our generation, but immediately think Bitcoin is their answer to retirement. I think it was something like that. It was the, and obviously <laughs> yeah, it was exactly it. heavily at Josh and I and everybody that's uh, kind of on, <laughs> on the blue collar Bitcoin bandwagon. Uh, my point is because of all of kind of the millennial and below Fugazi getting distracted in all these different areas, which there's truth to a lot of distraction yep. and, and hollow vapid things that our generation gets attached to and then moves on from bitcoin itself is often immediately written off like people don't your generation commonly doesn't even get to sentence number two when this word comes out even still today in 2023 so i guess just to back to josh's question what do you use to break through that that wall that's often built up right away greg you go first okay guys it's this simple i i love firefighters um and that boomer firefighter that uh, said that, that's uh, intellectual laziness. So I'm calling you out, you intellectually lazy boomer firefighter. But <laughs> when you uh, have heart problems, do you try and do open heart surgery on yourself or do you go to a professional? Obviously, you go to a professional heart surgeon. Well, Larry and I have both, both been in the risk management business our entire lives, okay? 30 plus years, each of us. So we might not be the smartest or the sharpest tool in the shed, but we have experience in identifying opportunities. So think of me as a heart surgeon, but I'm a financial engineer or a financial risk manager. And you can take this for what it's worth. Very simply, I believe Bitcoin to be the most incredible asymmetric investment opportunity I have ever seen. Which is to say, I have never seen a risk-reward opportunity better than Bitcoin. You can own 2% of your entire net worth in Bitcoin, and that can be a life-changing decision. If you lose that 2%, I'm pretty sure it shouldn't change your life. But if that 2% turns into something that I believe to be the best most likely outcome I have ever seen in 35 years of managing risk. It is life-changing. And go to your whiteboard, you stupid boomer fuck, and erase that <laughs> because it is true. 
And if you don't understand what I just said, you're too fucking stupid. And why don't you just open heart surgery yourself and figure out why you don't do open heart surgery on yourself, okay? Listen to people like Larry, <laughs> who has been a professional risk manager his entire life and sees what the opportunity is. Hope that helps. XOX from Canada. The title's going to be Boomers Buy Bitcoin or Kill Themselves. All right, got it. Well, I, no, I completely agree with Greg. This is the most asymmetric investment opportunity I've seen in 45 years of investing, um, without a doubt. And uh, to, to address what you mentioned, though, Dan and Josh, I mean, to be fair to these old stupid fuck boomers who haven't done the work, um, they're, 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 you know, there's been a lot of noise. Yes. And, and, there, and there are a lot of annoying Bitcoiners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the natural human tendency is to say, you know, is that with age comes wisdom. And so you would think, and, 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 and by the way, you know, all crypto is fraudulent. Okay. I mean, FTX is fraudulent. I mean, one of the things I'm encountering a lot trying to orange pill people is, you know, well, it's crypto. It's like FTX. It's going to be the same kind of story. So, and it's not. And so, you know, it, look, it's, it is a technology. It is an important technological development. I think it's one of the most important technological developments the last hundred years. We created a system which provides immutable digital scarcity. And that in and of itself is a big fucking deal. It's enormous. And we will look back on this in 20 years. Our kids will say, our grandkids will say, can you believe those fuckers allowed, you know, a central bank to set the price yeah. of money? I mean, what the, you know, and that led to the, the collapse of the entire world financial system in 2028. I mean, what the fuck were they thinking? I mean, these people, they were stupid as shit. And, and, and so, you know, just because you're old doesn't mean you can't learn. And just because you're old doesn't mean you shouldn't investigate. And so what you need to do for these older people, what you need to say is, look, you know, we, we're not sure we're right, but, you know, as Greg points out, if you take a 1% allocation of your net worth and put it into Bitcoin and you lose it, your life isn't going to change. If you take a 1% of your net worth and put it into Bitcoin and it goes up 200x, which I think it will, you know, that's going to change your life. And so, you know, why don't you consider taking a 1% weighting in this? Why don't you consider at least doing the work, which is something that even I think, you know, some people say Ray Dalio understands it. Um, and he's just, he's just shilling for the system. I don't think so. I actually... I met him once. I actually don't think he's as smart as everybody thinks he is. I know that's a very uh, arrogant statement to make, but I, but I, you know, I don't know. I'm a judge of people, and my sense is he really doesn't understand what it is. And you know, you've got to understand what this thing is. Right. And I, I would say, you know, a lot of people listening who are in the boomer generation who are skeptical, the place you start, and I met him, you know, eight nine years ago, is with you know the Bitcoin Standard by Safedean. I mean, this book has changed the world. It will be one of the most important economic books of the last mm. 50 years. Yeah. And if you haven't read the Bitcoin standard, don't talk to me about why Bitcoin sucks. In fact, you know, I, I would think that would be something you guys yeah. could say to your boomer friends in the firehouse. Have you read the Bitcoin standard? No. Okay. Well, you know, then don't, we don't have anything to discuss because you haven't done the work. You have to start off by doing the work. And once you do the work, you come to see that holy shit, you know, there's, you know, as, as Greg and I debate this, there's either 400 trillion or 900 trillion of fiat crap in the world, right? And, and we debate it, depends on whether you include bonds and derivatives. And, and there's only, you know, 
400 billion of Bitcoin and 5 trillion roughly of tradable gold and gold stocks. So, you know, and, and by the way, all that 400 trillion, the, the, the large amount of fiat crap, you know, I mean, I think most of you guys in the firehouse would certainly understand that the governments are out of control mismanagement, especially because you guys are in Illinois. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is there anybody in there who thinks that the government of Illinois is doing a good job? You know, I mean, it can't be, right? So what, once you come in, people ask me, say, what, how could Bitcoin fail? How could, or, or they look at investment my fund, they say, Larry, how could, you know, tell me how this could go wrong. That's a smart question, by the way. I mean, whenever you're looking at any investment, you say, okay, how am I going to get fucked here? You know, I mean, it was like from the big short, right? Uh, tell me, tell me how I get fucked. Tell me how this goes wrong. I'll tell you how it goes wrong. This goes wrong. My, my sound money thesis, gold and Bitcoin goes wrong if governments suddenly chop all expenses and balance their budgets and plan for the future in a really responsible way. If that happens, our stuff isn't going to work nearly as well as we think it's going to work. Now, and of course, when I say that, everybody laughs out loud because in the existing government structure, how would you rate the odds of that event happening? I put them at extremely low. low. They're yeah. not zero, but they're very low, right? So, you know, monetary systems are programmed to the base, as Greg says, Bitcoin and gold are your protection. Can I just uh, jump in there, Larry? In fact, unless they forgave the accumulated debt in the world already, which would mean pension plans that own all of this debt have to write it down to zero, and therefore pensioners' pensions have been compromised, even if the government's balanced the budget for the rest of time, it's still over, Larry. It's still over. You yeah, see the no, funny You're right. It, it, you're right. You're right, it is over, but I'm, I'm just trying to give the counter. Yeah, but I am actually just splitting hairs. I'm overthinking stuff. For the listeners, why is Larry, do, do Larry and I disagree on the total financial assets in the world? Because I'm a debt guy, and debt runs the world, people, and there's $400 trillion of global debt, and then there's the $400 trillion of stuff Larry talks about, but you can't forget about the most important elephant in the room because debt has prior claim on everything. Debt is your first prior claim. So you can be an equity guy and forget about debt. No no disrespect to you, Larry, but you got to look at enterprise value, my friend. And enterprise value always yep. includes debt, whether you're looking at a company or a country. So that's why there's $900 trillion of addressable, total addressable market for Bitcoin. But either way, Bitcoin is such a fraction of that. It doesn't matter whether you're using 400 trillion or 900 trillion. It's going to go higher. It's because somebody asked this. They said, what are the risks to Bitcoin? How could Bitcoin fail? In my opinion, and because I think this adds credibility when boomers look at what's wrong with Bitcoin, okay? What's wrong with Bitcoin? If Bitcoin blew up technologically, okay, that would be a big issue, all right? And, and when I first got into it in 2013 or 14, that was my great concern. How can you really have money based on computers? I mean, computers do blue screens, they crash all the time, et cetera, et cetera. But once you get deep into it, you understand how it's set up and how it's working, the whole hash process. And then once you consider the fact that we're at over 777,000 blocks and it's been running flawlessly for, you know, coming up on 15 years now, you suddenly start to realize, okay, the odds of it technologically failing are pretty slim. And other people say, well, it, you know, there'll be another one. Well, no, there won't because, you know, the network effect, it's so deeply ingrained that it's going to be hard. There's a first mover advantage that's impossible to catch up with. You know, the other risks would be, the only other risks that I can conceive of are 
you know, that, that people lose interest in and the use cases start to go down or disappear. But as we all know, the use cases are going up. You look at Nigeria, you look at Lightning Network, you look at everything that's going on. Use cases are growing enormously. So I'm not worried about that. Here's one, though, that could slow it down, right? And, and this has happened recently because, as you saw, you know, Washington, D.C. ended up with egg all over their face when FTX blew up. I mean, you know, FTX was selling unregistered securities, right? I mean, they didn't meet the Howey test. And, and, and the bottom line is that Gary Gensler completely and utterly failed at his job of protecting the American mm -hmm. investor by letting all of these companies go bankrupt. And, you know, there were plenty of smart people calling him out, Corey Clipston, a, a number of others calling out all these frauds, and they just let them run rampant, and then they blew up. And as a result of that, they're now trying to close the barn door, you know, now that the horse is out of the barn door, and they're talking about, they've, you know, they've gone after Caitlin Long at Custodia, which is just despicable, and they've, they've, they've tried to close the barn door on all the on-ramps and off-ramps. And I could conceive of a situation where they also maybe decide that, yeah, you know, Bitcoin and gold guys, they're, they're, they're ruining this beautiful fiat money system that we have. And therefore, we're going to tax this stuff at 80 or 90%. And so we're going to shut down the on-ramps and we're going to tax the living shit out of you people. And my view is, okay, fine. Good luck with that because one, you don't know that I have it. And two, taxes are only due when sold. And three, I ain't selling. And, and so, you know, all I got to do is wait until that generation of politicians expire. And I really bought this Bitcoin. The Bitcoin I, add, I have, I really bought it for my kids. I didn't buy it for myself. I don't, I don't really need more money, you know, but, but, but I want my kids and I want my grandkids to not be destitute. And so all we got to do is outweigh them. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's circle back for a second to talk about Dalio and maybe dare we even talk about Charlie Munger for a second. The interesting thing about Charlie Munger, I think a lot of what he has to say is interesting, really good stuff. I've got his poor Charlie's almanac, which I was paging through before we started this. And one of the things that he's really prolific about talking about is his circle of competence. Him and, him and Warren Buffett are very uh, adamant that they are very, you know, they have a very narrow expertise and that expertise is something they know they have. So they narrow in on what that is. They capitalize on it, which is the smart thing to do. And I think a lot of people listening to this who maybe don't know shit about Bitcoin would think themselves, I'm just going to buy some, you know, very generic funds that are going to give me exposure to a lot of shit. Bitcoin doesn't really matter. Even if it does get huge, like this is going to be safe. Why do I even want to put one or 2% of my money to, to uh, r risk on something like that? Because I am not competent in any of this and I want to play safe, right? So that's one way of looking at this. And then the other thing is like the Upton Sinclair quote, which we've probably beat on more on this show than anything else, which is, um, I'm just going to kind of slaughter here, but, but it's basically, you can't teach a man something that his paycheck is telling him not to know. Um, right. And that's exactly what Dalio and Munger are fighting, which is they right. are getting paid extremely well to do what they do, and it doesn't pay for them to give a shit about Bitcoin. It's even worse than that. It, thre it literally threatens their existence, exactly. and they know it. I mean, they're not, they're both very smart men, okay? I mean, I said he's, I, I recently had a tweet said he's stupid because he is with respect to Bitcoin. He's not a stupid man. I mean, he's obviously, he's made billions of dollars, um, but he's done it in, a, in, a, in my opinion, in an unethical way by gaming a fiat system. They both have. And, you know, I mean, Munger's, I mean, I, Dalio is, is, I mean, I have, I have some respect for Dalio. I have no respect for Munger. I, I actually think Munger is a legitimately evil guy. The way he I mean, fawns he, over um, the CCP I, is something that really blows my mind. I mean, whatever you want to talk right. shit about Bitcoin, that's fine. But well, when you're fawning over a totalitarian state that will literally just disappear yeah. people for months on end, like 
Fuck you, man. There's a spectrum. There's a spectrum. I mean, when you look at people's politics, there's a spectrum from hardcore statism, you know, um, fascism on, on one end and, you know, radical, you know, uh, libertarianism on the other end. And, and Munger is way, way, way over on the statism side, right? And yeah, and he admires China because they have the power to do. I mean, he's one of those people who thinks that certain people are better than others and therefore they ought to have a larger say in how the world is run. I mean, this is the WEF. I mean, he would fit right in at the WEF. All these people actually think they're in a position to say how the world should be run and that we should all listen to them. And, you know, my view on that is, fuck you. I'm not listening to you. You know, you don't know how, how the world should be run. You know, free individuals are what created this world. And that, you know, the founding documents of the United States are the most beautiful set of governmental documents ever created. And sadly, we've drifted away from them. If we go back to the initial principle, the founding principles of the U.S., you know, we would, we would be in great shape. But, you know, they've been corrupted by a, a corrupt system. And sadly, as, as, you know, as some of the founders predicted, you know, there are people who figured out how to play the game, right? I mean, this, this, and this game has been going on for a long time. I mean, Andrew Jackson knew about it in the 1800s. I mean, you know, there are people who believe that the state should control things. I mean, Mike Green is another one, another asshole that I can't stand, you know? And, and then there are people who believe that, you know, we all should be free individuals and we should all make our own choices. I mean, my view is the role of government should be to be a, basically a fair referee and nothing more. You know, enforce, enforce the laws, run the courts, that's it. Um, you know, it, it's, um, but, but Munger, Munger doesn't see it that way and Dalio is a, a more complicated case. I mean, Dalio is a gold bug. I mean, Dalio sees the monetary debasement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Munger does too. He just, he just doesn't admit it. You know, he likes it because it benefits him. Josh, I think your point was was good, though. Like people generally a good heuristic, a good shortcut is don't get cliffed out. Don't get out over your skis. Right, Foss? Like that's a good way of looking at the world. Don't enter spheres and take risks and stick your neck in areas where your head could get chopped off. The problem is, as we move into this landscape of the, the mid late 2020s and beyond, conventional wisdom is it really tends to fail when paradigms shift and the plates are shifting to such an extent and the continents are moving in such dramatic locations people aren't expecting at least people that aren't you know that don't speak this language and aren't looking at the math greg that this is a little different i know that's like a risky thing to say but i, I think two comments i would have is a consider the fact that this could be different flip over the stone flip over the bitcoin stone and then secondly if you do lack confidence in it Take a small enough position, as the two of you have said, to start where if, if we are all clowns here on the show, you're totally fine and protected. That's right. I mean, Dan, and, and the point is a very good one. And I think one of the, one of the things that I think a lot of people are having a hard time dealing with is that nobody has ever seen an investment climate like this because nobody who is alive ever had an investment. What's going on at a macro level is we've got a bursting sovereign debt bubble. And the last time this happened was in the early 1900s. You know, you had inflations and hyperinflations and depressions from kind of 19, 1900 to 1940 or 35, you know, in all of the major Western countries. And, and, you know, the investing climate since then has been relatively stable. And yet, you know, I would submit that if you take a look at, you know, the Fed's balance sheet as a good example, or the growth of the M2 is another good example, um, you know, this is not stable. Um, these are, you know, these, these lines are going parabolic. 
And, and the reason for that is that we are in a different climate. We are no longer in the deflationary post-World War II, you know, fiat-controlled climate. We are moving into something different. And, you know, the young people who are able to identify that and get in front of it are going to benefit enormously. And older, older people will too. Um, you know, so you've got you've to have your eyes open. But I, you know, I get it. It's, it's not conventional, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. So can I jump in and just talk about, you know, let's talk about Ray Dalio and what he, what he exploited because the system uh, offered that to him. Mr. Dalio created a uh, ingenious uh, investment um, uh, portfolio called Risk Parity, okay? And basically Risk Parity involved two right. major asset classes, equities and bonds. But it also started with bonds that I mentioned earlier in the show, 40 years ago, had a t close to a 20% yield. And the risk parity uh, portfolio that Mr. Dalio constructed was he had equities and then he had a leveraged position in bonds, which neutralized any volatility because when equities sold off, people tended to run to bonds as the safety trade. Well, if you're levered long bonds and you have equities and equities fall, but you have a heavier position in bonds due to leverage and they go up in price because of demand, i.e. interest rates went lower, the volatility of your portfolio was neutralized and your performance was exceptional. Now, the key is to remember that Mr. Dalio started when interest rates were close to 20% and they went all the way down to under 1%. Well, there's the memers out in the Bitcoin world. I guess I was on stage in Bitcoin Miami two years ago, and they put together a nice little thing. Imagine right under here, and I have my hands like this on my chest, and I say, it's fucking over, Ray, because risk parity does not work when interest rates are at 1%. Unless interest rates were to go to negative 5%, which is asinine, only Europeans buy negative yielding debt because they're so stupid, Okay. But it didn't go to negative yielding debt in, in North America. The point is Mr. Dalio's risk parity model stopped working and he got blown out of the friggin' water. Okay. So he had to change that risk parity model. You can actually put more than a couple of assets into a risk parity model. And I think Ray understands that gold and Bitcoin belong in a risk parity model. The problem with Bitcoin is it's too small for the world's largest hedge fund. The market value of Bitcoin means that if he was to go in and out like an elephant, he would squash everybody. It would be like a gorilla eating a banana. And all of a sudden, every monkey in the world is getting squished out because there's a gorilla in the room. So he doesn't want Bitcoin to succeed because he can't employ it in his risk parity strategy. That being said, I think Ray Dalio, when he tried to describe, he said, Bitcoin's not the answer. Then he got on TV and tried to describe the answer. And that dumbass was describing Bitcoin. Like he's so myopic. So he might be a great risk manager and he took advantage of a system. He knows what the answer is. It's right in front of his face. Ray, it's called Bitcoin. So I can take him on on that argument from a risk parity stage anytime he wants. I have an open invitation to discuss risk parity with Bitcoin in the portfolio. But let me just add something and this is what we're all missing age takes care of this okay there won't be a ray dalio in a couple of decades and there certainly won't be a bit uh, charlie munger in 
probably half a decade. And I'm just throwing out statistical numbers here. I don't wish early retirement, not early yeah. retirement, death on any of them, but time takes care of a lot of this stuff. And as the new risk managers come up through the system and understand the technological advantages and everything, that takes care of itself. Can I add one more thing? Joe Kernan, beautiful guy on CNBC that has enough uh, senior seniority because he's been on CNBC since I've been watching CNBC for 30 years. And I think Joe Kernan might have been on for the entire 30 years that I've been watching CNBC. He basically called out Charlie Munger as a crotchety old 99-year-old on CNBC. You got to see the clip. And it was beautiful. And I applaud Joe Kernan for having the guts to call out a crotchety old 99-year-old on a technology because Joe Kernan said, do you think Charlie's even read the first few pages of the Bitcoin standard, let alone the Bitcoin yep. white paper? God bless you, Joe Kernan, for calling out a crotchety old 99-year-old who probably wanted, when he was born, not a new motor car. He wanted a faster fucking horse because all he knew was horses. He didn't even understand the impact of an automobile, okay? So go fuck yourself, Charlie Munger. You're giving advice very poorly. And at the end of the day, I'll summarize it with this, and I've said this before, so don't buy green bananas, Charlie. And that's a good thing. Why shouldn't Charlie Munger buy green bananas? Because most likely he won't be around to see them ripen someday, okay? And that will take care of itself. I do not wish this on anybody, but when he gives the most awful investment advice possible, then you have to call him out. And Joe Kernan did that for, for, for me and for my kids. So thank you, Joe Kernan. Charlie Munger, there's still time. I doubt you will ever change your thesis. Well, I guess age will take care of that. God bless you, sir. So one of the things Greg said is very important. He talked about risk parity and how these guys have played the risk parity game. One of the things that's absolutely critical to making this risk parity game work is bailouts and a central bank that's willing to print. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, you know, Ken Griffith is a very wealthy guy. He's played the risk parity game too. He has a $250 million penthouse in Manhattan. And, you know, he also has Ben Bernanke on his board of advisors. The rumor on Wall Street is that Bernanke gets paid $20 million a year. Why does Bernanke get paid $20 million a year to be a, an advisor to Ken Griffin? He gets paid that money because when March, 20, uh, March of 2020 happened and the risk parity trade was going tits up because everything was absolutely going bananas in the, in the markets, he had a direct line to the Federal Reserve and he could get a swap line. Um, and if he had not been able to get that swap line, boom, he would have been BK. In the same way that Goldman Sachs should have been BK, in 2008, when they were upside down on all those AIG and all the AIG CDSs that had been sold that were not backed, I mean, what you know, what what these older people have to understand is how the system has scammed them. Okay, it has scammed them. These insiders on Wall Street have set it up to make sure that it's heads it's heads they win, tails we all lose. I mean, the 2008 crime was an enormous, enormous crime. I mean, we are all paying for their, bail, uh, their being bailed out. I mean, they had a system set up where they could lever themselves 100 or 1,000 to 1 and make enormous amounts of money. I mean, guys making 50, 100, 200 million dollars a year as a result of the leverage they used in that system, which was extremely risky, which when it failed and the housing market collapsed, 
should have, I mean, blank fine, all these guys, they all should have been BK. Blank fine should have been BK. Paulson should have been BK. Goldman Sachs should have been, I mean, they should have brought in guys from the you know, Midwestern savings and loan companies to run the major banks in New York, but they didn't, okay? Because these guys had the political power to get the bailouts that allowed them to go on and then to do it again. And, and, and Dalio has had those swap lines and Ken Griffin has had those swap lines and they've all had those. And that's why, I mean, you know, the thing that I think people in the country are very, you know, unaware of and they should be more aware of is everyone wonders why we have all these amazing technological innovations. Look at how technology has improved in Greg's and my life. And as a result of that, one would think we'd all be working 35-hour weeks and, and have greater and better lifestyles than we, than we ever, you know, should have had, right? How, how come? And yet my parents in the 70s in Ann Arbor, Michigan, lived a better lifestyle on a middle-class income than people who are working twice as hard get today. And, and the reason for that is because of fiat and the way the fiat has, has basically drained all the rewards and put them in the top of the system and left, left nothing for, for the average working person. And, and it's, it's, it's criminal. It's, it's a broken, broken system. And so, you know, at a first principles level, if, if these boomers, not only just to protect themselves, but also look beyond protecting yourself, just say to yourself, okay, the system's broken. How do I fix it? Well, we got we to gotta crash the system. And to crash the system, we got to have fiat fail. And fiat's in the process of failing. But if you want to silently protest fiat, there are two ways you do it. You get out of the fiat game. You buy gold or you buy Bitcoin. You don't let them have your money. And, and you, you vote with your feet. And, 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 the more, and as more and more of us vote with our feet, we've got them outnumbered. I mean, sure, these people at the top of the system, they control everything, but they don't control what the average person does with their own money. And they want to. They're going to try and give you a CBDC. You're not going to use it. You're going to tell them to go screw themselves, right? But, but in turn... You know, if you, if you take your piece of your savings and you put them in Bitcoin, that is a protest in and of itself. And I think, sadly, not enough people understand that, 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 that that's what they're doing when they're investing in Bitcoin. You know, one observation I have, Larry, you talked about fiat failure and, and we've thrown out the word inflation some. The fact of the matter is, if you're on the wrong side, if you're positioned improperly to spectate this fiat failure... Like you're fucked. And I guess that parlays well into inflation. Like the word inflation in in public discourse is used so much. It's so poorly defined that it's almost started to feel like nothing. But if you really distill it down and you think about its impact, even the last few years, like it is an insidious bitch. And I would say this to to, to members of your generation, because, yeah, there's a lot of your peers that have that have done well and reaped the benefits but we also need to acknowledge that there's a ton of boomers that got over levered that are currently extremely strapped for cash and are just trying to get by. And, and my comment to those folks is we're starting to get tangible examples of the impact of this buffoonery at, at the central bank government level, because it's not it's not that it might fuck you over. It's that it's already fucked you over. And it makes me think of Lynn's recent piece, she, her, her February piece. She really honed in on. The fact that inflation may be transitory at times in rate of change terms, but in absolute terms, it's not like prices are not going to come back down to where they were. No. They're going to settle at structurally higher levels. Right. 
And yes, yes, prices have been going up for decades, but not at the clip we've seen over the last few years. And when you do the math on the magnitude of the fiscal spiral of the of the predicament that confronts sovereign nation states and central banks and the financial system, my base case is that that clip is going to accelerate at a very uncomfortable level for people that are reliant on a certain number, right? As we said off the top, they they ended their working years with a certain number in mind or a, a plan in mind. And this thing is is ticking off at a clip that's going to fuck that plan up if they don't take action. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as you say, rates, you know, things are never going back down. I mean, some people, a lot of younger people don't, you know, have the historical perspective. I mean, when I was a kid, gasoline was 29 cents a gallon, right? We're, we're, not, we're not going back there, guys. I mean, it's, you know, we're pushing it four and five and someday we'll be pushing it 10 or 15. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's, it is, it's not, it's not just inflation. I call it monetary debasement, really. And, and it, it flows through and how you measure it and everything. It's, you know, it, it's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, and, and it's because of the way, it's because of the government structure that we've got. You know, politicians use money to buy votes. And as a result of that, um, you know, you can count on too much money being used and you can count on, therefore, the saver is, is, is screwed. You know, if you're saving in just general fiat terms. And um, I think we're in one of those periods where sound money assets are about to do extremely well. I mean, let's not forget, you can say whatever you want about Bitcoin. Bitcoin has been the best performing financial asset in the history of the world ever. Ever. At $16,000. I mean, Bitcoin went from pennies to sixteen to 23000 wherever it is today, 24000 a coin. It, there's, there is no, in that time frame, there is, there is no financial, and, and actually in any time frame, there is no financial asset that has ever exceeded that performance. And I can't see yeah. why, you know, in the venture business, I used to always say, are the dogs eating the food? I mean, a trend in motion will continue. I can't see why that trend isn't going to continue. I mean, I think it will continue to be, I think the price of everything is going to go down in Bitcoin terms from now until forever, because there are 21 million of these coins and there are 8 billion people. Focus on what Larry said, monetary debasement, the difference between monetary debasement, how they measure inflation, which is a bit of a gaslighting in itself. Constantly changing. And then remember, it's only mathematics, mathematics and inflation compounds. So you're going to claim victory that you brought inflation down from 8% back down to let's say they do magically get it down to their target, which could be 2% or maybe they change their target. Doesn't matter if you've had multiple years of 8% inflation, that compounds to the point where a 2% inflation is building on a couple of years of 8% inflation. And all of a sudden, you're from four years ago, you're meaningfully higher in price, even though inflation year over year has come back down to 2%. So, can I give a shout out? You mentioned Lynn Alden. And the chart that Lynn Alden posted that blew me away is in, in her very you know, sarcastic way. Can you believe the Fed posted this where they assume that the U.S. Treasury will uh, be able to run a deficit of 400% of, <laughs> of U.S. GDP and they're going to accept it because that's the math. That's how it has to run. And then if you look at the Congre Congressional Budget Office, which you guys did a great tweet where you tweeted it out, that the Congressional Budget Office is actually running deficits of 15% annually. They admit it's fucked already. It's crazy. 
Okay, so it's done. It's guys. That's and and yet they're 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 throwing it out there, and they expect the stupid people, which largely they do, accept it because they don't understand the math. But you mentioned a word called inflation. One of the words that I view that is making such a impact in people's lives is the word fiat. And I will tell you, I graduated with two years of MBA from Cornell University, and I never once heard the word fiat in two years of business school, okay? It was never an issue until now because the fiat Ponzi is broken because of pure grade 11 math. We had a chance to solve this Ponzi, but successive financial crises, Latin America to long-term capital management, bailout, like Larry said, to great financial crisis, bailout, continually kicking the can up one level to government. There's no further place to kick it. So I love Lynn Alden. I think I might love Luke Groman more. Okay, now I am a staunch, you can do whatever you want, but I would prefer to love ladies more than loving men. But Luke Groman, I love you because <laughs> Luke Groman is calling Bitcoin credit default protection for the people because there will be countries that go bankrupt and it won't be the United States initially. But in nations where they continually go bankrupt, they are serial defaulters, serial with an S, like Argentina, you need protection against that default. And guess what it's called? It's called Bitcoin. And you don't have to go to AIG to get your credit default swap or CDS protection like Goldman Sachs did. You can buy it in Bitcoin and not have any counterparty risk. So Larry pointed out that AIG was rescued. Why was AIG rescued? Because if AIG failed, so did Goldman Sachs, because Goldman Sachs had bought so much protection from AIG. And if that protection or insurance company went default, Goldman Sachs itself would have gone default. So hats off to my best buddy, Luke Roman, who calls Bitcoin credit protection for the people. You don't have to be privileged. You don't have to have a huge bank account. You can buy it on the same terms that guys like Ivy League cucks, like Larry Lapard and Greg Foss, who are part of the privileged <laughs> people. We've figured this out. And this is the most beautiful form of insurance I've ever seen. If you buy fire insurance on your house, which you should, you should also own insurance on the Fiat Ponzi, and that is called Bitcoin. So if you want to go through life without fire insurance on your fucking house, you're probably a moron. But go ahead, because if you're going through life without yep. insurance on your Fiat, you're living the same stupidity as going through life with no fire insurance on your house. People are doing it, though. We watched the house burn to the ground. It was literally a smoking hole in the ground, and the guy that owned it, had it paid off, had no insurance. This was like a $1.5 million house, beautiful estate, gone. He was burning leaves and he was burning leaves in the front yard. It's just people do it. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, but the par probably part of the reason he might have done that is because he was so pinched in terms of his income that he couldn't afford the insurance, right? Maybe. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Foss, what I heard out of you there with that, that Groman rant was that you claim to be straight as an arrow, but if you'll bend for anyone, it might be Luke Groman. Luke, oh. you heard it here. Look out. <laughs> Groman on the ski trip next year, huh? Gentlemen, there is a price for everything.
There is oh, a geez. price for Boss, any, everything. Go there. Okay. Now, I'm not stop going right any now, further. Boss. I'm not going any further. Stop. I am Just not going stop. any further, <laughs> except to say, oh listen God. to me. I'll take it to it's an exception, to Josh. an extreme. What would you do <laughs> if your child had cancer and you could cure it? Tell me there's not a price that you mm. would perhaps engage in some... Mm. Yeah. Whatever. I'll leave it there. Yeah. Larry, next time you're on the road with Foss, you got to sleep on your back with your fist in your mouth, buddy. Is this is. Oh, no question. <laughs> yeah. Lock the door. No, there's a price. There's a price. <laughs> hey, there's a well, price. Yeah. Now I, that I price. There is. You're going to get yourself in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you loud and clear. You know, I, I think like you've got some people listening to this who don't understand the inner workings of the math problem. And this is what I love about you, Foss, and, and you, Larry, too, is you guys. We're not, this isn't opinions, right. dude. This is numbers down on paper. Like when you start digesting the, the debt loads, the sovereign debt loads, the ongoing and increasing deficits that are all but guaranteed when you factor things in, interest rate expense that's just going to keep going north. We have a congressional budget office, as we just established, that's admitting, and I'm sure these numbers are right. as conservative as humanly possible, right. that we're going to be 200% debt over GDP by say 2050. There is a math problem. And if you don't understand what we're saying, I forget which one of you it was that said this on Swan Signal, but for, for someone that's just total ground zero, they're taking out a fourth credit card to pay off the first three. And they're going to take out a fifth to pay off the first four. And when you distill this down to the individual level, they're going bankrupt at some point. And the escape valve for bankruptcy at the sovereign nation state level right. is the fiat currency. So it, it's like, this is where... I just want to get on a mountaintop and scream at the people I care for. There are not exits. This is a this is a debasement straitjacket out of which there is no good exit, and you need to hedge this risk. Right. And the problem with this, though, is that people haven't lived through this in the United States or Canada or any first world nation. You know, since what maybe Weimar That's Germany. Right. Exactly right. Um, right. People right. lost everything yeah. then, but like it's been a hundred exactly years. Right. Um, we are three, four generations removed from experience in this. And even though the numbers might say logically, this is deducible, it, they're just, it's like cognitive dissonance, you know, like you just can't understand something you haven't experienced. That's, ex that's exactly right. I mean, we're, we're coasting on, you know, the good credit of the United States post-World War II when we had, you know, all the guns, all the gold, all the productivity. And look, we coasted a long way and who, who knows, we could coast another few years, we could coast another five or 10 years. I kind of don't think we'll make it that far. But if you actually look at the mathematics of it all, and if you look at the third, if you look at the third world countries that have had severe inflations, we're showing all the symptoms. They're all there. I mean, they're just they're there as clear as can be. I mean, go look at a chart. I wish somebody could pull up a chart of the, the U.S. interest costs per year. I mean, the thing has gone basically vertical. You know, not many years ago, our U.S. interest costs were about $200 billion a year. Now they're running at a $700 billion rate and growing. That's a debt doom loop. There's no way out of that. They need, you know, and when you get to yeah. the point where you're printing money to pay your interest and your old debt, and when you get to the point where everyone realizes that that's what's going on, and some of us do realize that and believe that and know it, and the math proves it, but I would say, you know, for the, the vast majority of the population does not realize it yet, but when they do come to realize it, they're going to say to themselves, get me out of this fiat. And so what you want to own is something that cannot be printed. I mean, look, houses will be good. Cars will be good. Farmland will be good. Anything that the government can't print will have value in the new 
currency that gets set up after the fiat collapse. I mean, I think Greg and I both believe that fiat will collapse. I believe it'll happen before 2030. Um, hard to tell within that next eight years, but it's in that time window, I think it will happen. And you better own stuff because, you know, a $100 bill, you know, might actually be worthless. It might be worth a few cents. You know, that's, that's what's happened mm. in all prior higher mm. hyperinflations. The most, Josh, you point out, the only real first world large hyperinflation that's happened in the last 100 years was Weimar Germany in 1921 to 23. But we've had a lot of them in, in third world areas. I mean, Zimbabwe, Venezuela, uh, Argentina's borderland third world, um, et cetera. And, and you can see it, all the patterns are repeating. I mean, this, this, is not, this is not hard for anybody who has an education in monetary economics to see. You know, the, the, the slope of the curve is a little, is, is certainly debatable, right? I'm curious to hear your, um, both of your opinions on this. Um, Dan and I have lived through one, one and a half bear markets now. We're not really sure where this thing's at at the moment. But based on your experience, the two of you, um, what do you think's going on at the moment in Bitcoin? Is this like a bear market rally up to 25,000 or so before it peters out down to who knows where the ba the bottom is before this thing's over with? Or you guys think that maybe this is different and this might actually uh, recover before the halving? Or you think it's just doing the four-year cycle all over again? Where are you guys at on your opinions on that? Obviously, we're not going to hold anyone to that. This is just predicting the future, which is entirely bullshit. But with some with some lens of experience the two of you have, what do you guys what do you guys think? I'll go first. I think that the odds are that the bottom was in at the 15-16 level. But I would rate that as maybe a 60% chance and a 40% chance that they that we have one more big scare. I, I actually I, I would revise that. I'd probably say it's 70 or 80% that the bottom is in. The retracement was not quite a Fibonacci 78%. It was close. A Fibonacci 78% would have taken you to 13, and we didn't quite get there. But, um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm entirely prepared for one more dip down into the 13 range. If, if Bitcoin goes below 13, I'd be shocked. Um, and I think more likely, um, Bitcoin, and I've seen it in gold recently too, I, I think they're starting to smell the next level of debasement. And so I think the, you know, I think there are high odds that the bottom is in. And that you know we'll be at much higher numbers, not that far out. How do you see it, Craig? Well, I can't argue with that. But now, one of the things that I'm almost—I uh, have a uh, adage: um, I will give you a Bitcoin price target, but I won't give you a time where it's going to attain that. But that tends to simplify my entire investing thesis. So, I uh, have a price target on Bitcoin of over 2 million US dollars per Bitcoin in today's dollars, let's be clear. Starting today, which means I would not be surprised if there was a gap to $2 million per Bitcoin. It isn't happening, but the point is, if that's my target in today's dollars, then I try not to sweat the small stuff because even at $20,000 per Bitcoin in today's dollars, the market is telling me that there's only a 1% chance of me being correct on my $2 million per Bitcoin price target, right? 20,000 divided by 2 million is actually one in 100 or 1%. Now, I'm not 100% certain Bitcoin attains my price target, but I'm way higher than 1% confident. So therefore, I actually don't care because if it's cheap at 20,000, it's twice as cheap at 10,000. But fuck, guys, 
That means it's gone down to a half a percent chance that I'm right. And I'm just not that smart. I cannot split percentages within 10 percentage points, let alone within half of one percentage point. So I try not to overthink things. I just say to myself, how did I get to $2 million per Bitcoin? And I'll start with my famous $900 trillion of global financial assets at which I think Bitcoin will ultimately attain a 5% market share. 5% of 900 trillion is 45 trillion. I know you boomers can do this math, so stick with me. 5% of 900 trillion is 45 trillion divided by 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist. There's your 2 million plus dollars per Bitcoin in today's dollars because global financial assets today are $900 trillion, but debt is growing. And as debt grows, other things grow and that global pie gets bigger. So if you're going to tell me you're so smart, you're waiting for to buy Bitcoin where you're 99.5% certain versus being 99% certain that it goes to your price target. Dude, you're managing risk the wrong way, okay? This is stupid cheap at this price, and you have to own some. And if you're going to be fancy and trade your fire insurance on your house, and then the house burns down on the day that you had sold your fire insurance but planned to buy it back, you deserve to get that smoldering fucking hole in the ground, and you guys should turn your fire hose and put it down the guy's fucking mouth so he dies and doesn't reproduce <laughs> and create stupid children like he is. So try and give the world a mathematics lesson, okay? This is what it's about. It's about playing probabilities, expected values, and managing risk. And very simply, I try not to overthink it. If my price target is two million US dollars per Bitcoin, and I'm worried about the next $10,000 move in Bitcoin, you're overthinking shit, people, and you're not that smart because nobody can possibly be that smart. So don't trade your fire insurance. Bitcoin is fire insurance on fiat. And fiat is a piece of shit that is programmed to debase. And if you don't have insurance on that piece of shit, you shouldn't be managing your own money. You should give it to a professional risk manager to manage properly. So Bitcoin is an IQ test in risk management, and most people are failing that IQ test miserably. Do your homework. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Greg. I think it's going to, you know, 1 million, 2 million plus. I mean, the, the important thing is to look at what it is. I mean, it's, it's a form of money. It's digitally sound money because it's immutable that can be easily transferred in, in a digital age. That just it, that is not programmed to debase, and and that that's an enormous, enormous innovation. Mm -hmm. Every other form of money in the sky, even gold, the, the supply of gold grows at under two percent a year. But in, in 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 fifty years, we'll have twice as much gold on the planet, and there really aren't many industrial uses for gold. I mean, it's it's women's jewelry or it's it's bullion for for money, and it's historically always been money, and I love it, and it will continue to be money. It's great. It's low volatility sound money. Bitcoin is high high volatility sound money, and but but Bitcoin is superior to gold because we know how much of it there is. You know there is the risk, I and mean, one of the things that one of the questions came up is how much risk is there of 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 
you know, rehypothecating Bitcoin and, and paper Bitcoin. And, and that, you know, various people have various views on this. My view is that there is some risk, but that they haven't moved nearly. I mean, we all know the gold price is massively suppressed and they haven't, they haven't put the rails and the, and the systems in place to suppress the price of Bitcoin yet, in my opinion. Now, they may try to, and they may try to fight back, you know, as I said earlier, with taxes and blocking the out and off ramps. I mean, look, the people who run the fiat system are, in my view, evil people who have a very strong economic incentive to keep that system going. And they are going to throw sand in our face at every possible chance. And yet, you know, they're going to lose because people, you know, I mean, you can't stop an idea whose time has come. I mean, go over to Africa, look at, look at some of the remittance use cases. You, you look at these places where their currencies are total trash and you've got countries like, I believe it's Nigeria, where 20% of the people are using Bitcoin as their currency. You know, I mean, this, and, and that's just, and that, every year that spreads. And so, so this is the future version of sound money, sound digital money. And, you know, you buy Bitcoin at the price you deserve. So you can either decide you're going to buy some now or you can wait and buy some later. You know, I mean, I think that our kids and grandkids will be shocked at people who are whole coiners. I mean, you know, $20,000 is a lot of money, but it's not outside the reach of a lot of people. There are a lot of people who can scrounge up 20000 bucks, And 20000 bucks, you know, 24 now, I guess, will get you a whole coin. And I, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're a whole coiner. Oh, my God. It's going to be amazing. You know, it's going to be an amazing thing, right? Yeah, I agree. And when this thing stays kind of broadside, as as we would argue it is right now. Absolutely. This is what gets the two of us jazzed up so much because this gives our demographic a chance, you know, to to accumulate enough where it matters. Like it will always matter to accumulate this. The way I see it going, it will always be a good monetary technology for wealth preservation. But in terms of like totally changing the trajectory of your financial future, no guarantees, but but this has a chance to do that at these price levels. Once we start co- coasting higher, there will be an extent to incite some maybe healthy FOMO in the listener. There will be a point maybe in the next 10 years where this thing kind of gets at an escape velocity where you can meaningfully use it as a savings technology, but it's it, it's kind of outside of your reach for for building generational wealth on, on a level that you had no other opportunity. I think that's right. I mean, I think I think we're still in the early enough days. I mean, look, I was paying 17000 for Bitcoin in 2017, you know, and yeah, and here it is only- We were too. You know, what, yeah. uh, five years later and, you know, six years later and I'm, I'm paying twenty four for it as a, a dollar cost average on a regular basis. But yeah, I mean, look, I mean, people need to go and look at like, you know, some of these stocks like- the, you know, I, one, of, one of my great mistakes is I had Microsoft when I was started off in the business, and I, I sold it to get the down payment to buy a condo because I wanted to live somewhere. But I, I got to tell you, that was a very expensive condominium because if I had fell out of that Microsoft stock, you know, it would have been like a, yep. a twenty, you know, twenty eight hundred bagger. I mean, it's it's and and to me, Bitcoin has the same kind of you know thing, and and it's even better than Microsoft because in that case. I had to, you know, know that Bill Gates and those guys in Baltimore, they were going to do the smart shit and grow it in the right way. The other thing I love about Bitcoin is there's no management team here. I mean, you know, I manage, right. you know, you look at a company, you invest in equities and, you know, as Greg knows very well, I mean, people, you know, com- companies can get effed up, right? People can mismanage. Right. And the addressable market here is just damn near infinite. It's, it's awfully large. Yeah. There are, eight, there are 8 billion people on the planet. 
you know, and I don't know. I mean, we're probably, we probably got 150 million of them owning Bitcoin, maybe a couple hundred million. I don't know. But it's, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's a very, very big market. So to me, it's, 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 it's pretty simple. And I think what Greg says is absolute truth that, you know, if you're not, if you're not owning some of this, you're really overlooking. I mean, one of the things in investing I always try to say is you want to avoid regret, right? You want to avoid um, looking back. And, and so when I, you know, when I make investment decisions, I say, well, what, what's, what could happen here and what would I regret most? If, so, if you understood, if somebody told you about Bitcoin, you understood Bitcoin, you took the time to read some of uh, stuff about it, and you thought to yourself, I don't know if these guys are right or if they're wrong, but they might be right. You know, and then you didn't do it. You didn't act on it. And, and then you know, now it's 10 years later, it's 15 years later, and Bitcoin's worth a million bucks. And you think to yourself, shit, I could have bought that for 20,000 bucks. That's going to cause some serious mm -hmm. regret. Oh, yeah. I mean, the person who doesn't even know about it, nobody even told them about it. It's like, well, they wake up one day and Bitcoin's a million five. Well, okay, whatever. You know, didn't get in on that one. Too late. But if you hear about it and you take a little time to understand it and you realize that it's, it's in my opinion, much more than possible, it's highly likely. At Greg's point, it's not a 1% you know, outcome. I mean, to me, it's like a 70 or 80% outcome. I mean, you know, I and mean, to me, it's really just a matter of how fast is the curve. I mean, it could, the curve could be slower than I think. I mean, we could, it could take 20 years to get to a million bucks. I don't think it will, but it could, you know, but I'm pretty sure it's going there. And I know it'll be, you know, 50, 100, 150 in a few years. And even, even if it only goes that far, that's on a $24,000 investment. That's not bad. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find other things that are that attractive in today's world. So to me, it's, you know, I, I would encourage people to forget the noise, forget the generational shit, forget FTX, for, you know, and, and, and realize that through all the, the haze and the arm waving, you know, the, I mean, and some people in the Bitcoin space don't help the space with all their, you know, arm waving and, you know, and stuff. And, you know, but do the work, just actually do the work, read the paper, read the white paper, read, you know, the Bitcoin standard, talk to people who are in it, yeah. ask the mm -hmm. questions, understand what the having is understand what the difficulty adjustment is understand what the miners do you know just deeply understand what you've got here and and you know i'd be shocked if you don't you know if, if people don't come to the conclusion that oh you know what i need to have some of this because there's a pretty high probability it's going to work if you aren't intrigued at right. the very least after hearing right. all of that and you don't want to learn a little bit more like you just aren't somebody who's going to make it in this world I'm sorry to say it. Like if you just don't have the interest or the ability to learn or be autodidactic in at least a little bit, like you're just not going to make it. I think you will have missed out on one of the most obvious great asymmetric investments in the history of investing. Five or six years ago, nobody knew about it. You know, before Coinbase, it was hard to buy it. You know, before the fork wars, you, you were worried about the technology. Before the block size issue, you were worried about that. I mean, a lot of things have been hammered out of it, and yet we're still in the very, very early adoption days. I mean, we're at, you know, maybe 10% penetration. And what that suggests to me is that, you know, you're still quite early and, you know, getting, getting started makes sense. We're in early stage penetration, Larry. We need full penetration. Foss doesn't do 10%. I'm not going, I, I'm not I, going I, there. Foss is crazy. Um, no, let's, let's not go there. <laughs> let's not go there. But, 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 but. Yeah, yeah. So, so just to summarize, well said, Larry. Yeah, portability of Bitcoin uh, is what makes it the uh, most important attribute over other hard assets. So, I'm not saying 
Uh, don't own other hard assets. What I am saying is be ca very careful owning bonds and fixed oh, yeah. income in a debasing. So bonds are the largest asset in the world or debt is the largest asset in globally. It's where you should take your allocation from and put it into. So if you have exposure to bonds, take a small percentage of your bond exposure and put it into Bitcoin. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is I don't have problem with people who don't do the research if they're let's say heart surgeons and they're out doing what they do properly which is open heart surgery on other people then they have professional financial advisors who do their financial investing for them well it's the financial advisors that i have a problem with that are intellectually lazy not the heart surgeon that's out there saving lives and is working 100 hour weeks and may not have the ability to study bitcoin for the hundreds and even thousands of hours that Larry and I have studied it for. But you listen to the professionals, okay? So here's my shout out to you guys, Josh and Dan and Blue Collar Bitcoin and my good friend Seb Bunny and his platform called lookingglasseducation.com of which I'm a partner in as well. We're trying to educate the world, okay? And it's not because we think we're smarter than other people. It's just that we have practiced open heart surgery longer than you have. So you're supposed to listen to the professionals. You, you can either decide, no, I don't want to listen to that open heart surgeon. I'm going to do it myself or I'll listen to the pro. So I'm not sure how lo much longer this show is going to run, but I'm going to tell you, I want to make a very special shout out to a gentleman who gives me hope about the future of children. His name is Jason Lowry, and he goes, he works for the U.S. Space Force, and love him or hate him, because there's lots of people on Twitter and Bitcoin Twitter that hate him and think he's a spook. I think he might be one of the most valuable assets that the United States military has in its arsenal. And I'm not saying as a weapon, I'm saying as a brain that understands the beauty of Bitcoin to change the world for the most important country in the world. Now, don't forget, I'm a Canadian. I live rent-free in the attic of the United States. Most of you knuckleheads can't even find Canada on a map, okay? You think everybody north of Connecticut has no fucking brain. Okay, that's fine. I live in your attic. Don't fuck yourselves, but do me a favor. I want the USA to succeed, okay? Why? Because USA is freedom. USA is the last bastion of freedom in this all godforsaken fucking world of everybody feeling entitled and get the government to pay for this and everything and they'll control us. So God bless the USA. God bless Jason Lowry who just published his thesis, a 400 page thesis. It's available from Amazon. I've seen excerpts from it, but I've also met the man personally twice. And I will tell you, thank God there's kids his age that are trying to change the world. He wrote a thesis published for MIT and is being presented to the um, Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Office of the President Optus, or however you say that, POTUS, uh, President of the United States. Because I want, as a Canadian, I want the USA to succeed. I am not Charlie Munger. Fuck you, Chinese Communist Party. I want... USA to succeed. And how does the USA succeed? USA is freedom. Bitcoin is freedom. The two should go hand in glove, okay? Or hand in hand. That's my rad from the attic of the USA. You can cut me off. You can send me out to pasture. I am not Charlie Munger. I am a law-abiding, God-loving 
free citizen of North America, and I want the USA to succeed. Thank you, Jason Lowry. Thank you, uh, Blue Collar Bitcoin. You guys are doing God's work for my kids. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are doing great work. And I, I want to give a further shout out to Greg. This Greg, with his, out of his own pocket, has funded this lookingclass.edu. And uh, he's a guy who really cares about, you know, making the world a better place for the kids. And that's why I consider him to be a, a dear friend and, and have enormous respect for him and what he's done. And basically anybody who is fighting hard to bring sound money in the form of Bitcoin, gold, et cetera, into the world is, in my view, working to make the world a better place. The world, the world is extremely broken Absolutely. right now. I mean, we can all, we can all look around and see that. And given that the world is broken, you know, my view is we're all called upon to stand up and try and fix it. And it's not about some red-blue fight. That's all just noise. You know, this is, this is the base layer. If we get the base layer right, if we get money right, if we get sound money right, a lot of the other problems in the world that we we're having are going to disappear. And so to me, this is a more important fight than any mm. other fight we're having right now. Sound money. Yeah. Um I think we want to extend to both of you guys as well. Thank you for all that you two have done. Like, um, you guys have been people that we look up to and listen to. And, uh, I think a lot of people in the space feel the same way. So thank you for all your contributions to this. I echo that. And, uh, Jason Lowry, uh, you've played hard to get for a while. We want you yeah, on this show. Coy. Um, we want you on this show. Shout out to Jason. Uh, we, I mean, Hey, we like people that play hard to get. It butters us up a little bit. We're excited, you know, whatever, but it's time. Let's make this happen. In terms of looking glass, uh, yeah, we love Seb Daz, the whole team. We've been doing a series with Seb and Daz every month, Bitcoin Basics series. We're three episodes into what's probably going to be an eight-part series. Go check that out. If you're anyone or you're a boomer that's listening and like, hey, these guys have said a lot of things. They've thrown out a lot of terminology. I'm a little confused. There's so many good touch points, but that's our best attempt to to give you something to grab onto. I wish we could keep going. We're uh, we're at time. You guys have been on before. We'll have you on again. You're both super gracious. Any last um, thoughts, shout outs, comments before we wrap this up and uh, go back to our families here? Yeah, I would just say one thing. You know, it, it's hard. We, we've been in a bear market for this stuff. We've been in a bear market for all sound assets for a little while. And I would just say, you know, chin up. We're, we are going to win. Um, and, you know, I like bear markets because they cause me to work out more. <laughs> and so, so my fitness goes up when we're in a bear market. And, uh, you know, it's like my view is just let's fucking go. We're going to win. And uh, sound money is going gonna, is gonna to take over the world. And, uh, you know, we hope more and more people become a part of it. More and more people are becoming a part of it. And uh, if there's anything we can do to help, let us know. Yeah, well said, Larry. I can't say it any other way. Larry is uh, too kind uh, with his flattery for me. I feel the same way about him, though. But guys, you know, Larry and I are not important here. What is important is the kids and the people yeah. who are coming into the scene and doing, you know, doing the hard work, the heavy lifting, the proof of work. And so, you know, I'm I'm 60. Larry's a couple of years older. Um, I know for sure that if I was at half as smart as jason lowry is at his age um you know i i just wish that upon myself so you have the luxury of listening to guys like yourselves that are way further ahead on the curve than i ever was at your age you have a real chance of making a huge difference in this world both financially but also in terms of uh of making the world a better place so i have one goal 
which is to leave the world a better place than the world to which I was born into. And so far, we're not doing that. But I believe Bitcoin to be that solution. And I want to do whatever I can to help people and educate people for that outcome. Because right now, we're on the wrong path. And there's not enough people calling out the Fiat Ponzi. I don't want the USA to fail. I have to say it once again. I want freedom to prevail. And I want to be part of that movement. And I love freedom. So Bitcoin for your kids is the solution that ensures the USA will remain the last bastion of true freedom in the world. And we've lost a little bit, but I want it to be a better place and we can take it there with free money. That's what Bitcoin is. Not manipulated money, free money. So thank you for having me. Uh, send hate mail to at Larry Lapard or whatever your uh, Twitter handle is, Larry. Um, send all the hate mail to Larry. I get my share, but I've learned to try and uh, filter out the uh, the noise. And uh, I take the Jeff Booth, a, a good friend of both of Larry's and my appro approach. Yeah, freedom of speech is very important. If people disagree with me, that's fine. Just at least do the homework, people. I implore you to do the homework. It's that important. Thanks, guys. And Greg, it's not just for the kids. It's for the parents. Hashtag for the parents. That's what this episode is about. Gentlemen, beers in Miami. We got to make that happen. We look forward to being with you guys in person. It's going to be a blast. Yes, let's do that. Yeah, we'll see you there. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thank Jay. you. Take care, guys. Good to see you all. Take care. Thanks so much for listening, folks. If you're appreciating our content here at Blue Collar Bitcoin, you can genuinely help us extend our reach by leaving us a review on Apple or your podcast app of choice, as well as subscribing to our Blue Collar Bitcoin YouTube channel, where we post videos of these discussions, as well as other shorts. We are also live on Podcast 2.0 apps. Our go-to app for listening to podcasts is Fountain literally get paid in Bitcoin sats for just listening to podcasts. And you can also stream sats to your favorite content creators on the Lightning Network. Go find us in the Fountain app, linked down in the show notes. Lastly, we are active at blue underscore collar BTC on Twitter. And all of our social media, including Noster, Instagram, and TikTok, can be found on our website, bluecollarbitcoin.io. Until next time, continue a relentless and open-minded pursuit of knowledge. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.